Carol. Okay, so this is the third discussion and we read pages 60 through 90. I'm rhetorical analysis. So uh, I had to do four things. So I'm gonna read them off to you and then we'll discuss them a little bit and then we'll move on. So first I had to make a list of the assumptions the author seems to be making. And I had to provide textual evidence. So I made two, I, well, I found two assumptions. So one assumption that Marty is making is that she automatically assumes that like her uncle Anoush is a hero even though he is a spy. And this does show her bias because she does think of him as a hero for two main reasons. First, because of her familial, familial ties with him. And also, she has a clouded judgment about how being arrested for, um, for demonstrating or for going against the status quo that automatically makes a person a hero. And even though this is a common thread for multiple pages, one example in the, in the parts that we were reading was on page 62 at the very beginning when she when she said during the time Anoush stayed with us I heard political discussions of the highest order now this is this is biased because she holds Anoush in a really really high regard and even though yes you do have to respect your family members there is no real legitimate or factual evidence that proves he's an expert in politics and the same actually goes with her father too uh, so she's biased to automatically think that they're right. Uh, and another assumption that she makes is on page 81, where they're in the car coming home uh, to check on uh, on Margie's mom, so or on Taji, and she says this: "The Arabs never liked the Persians. Everyone knows that. They attacked us 1,400 years ago. They forced their religion on us." So especially the last part, they forced the religion on us. It's an opinion. It's a, it's a political opinion, but she doesn't view it as an opinion. She views it as fact, which shows that she's biased. And even her father disagrees with that um, outlook. Now, I had to find uh, three places. Each one had to be where the author appeals to pathos, logos, and ethos. So, one, so on page 67... Uh, the author appeals to pathos when she, when she based, when Margie says, "Oh no, that old tale about being on a trip had come back," and I, I saw this as a place where she was appealing to emotions because it shows that she was, that she was scared of what was going to happen to Anoush because it, she was, because if you refer back to earlier in the book, she basically said that. Um, that lie about going on a trip either meant that the person you were talking about was dead or was arrested. So then when that happened to someone that she cared about, she automatically felt worry or um, kind of just fear and eventually sadness when she found out what happened. So that's pathos. And then a part or a place where the author appeals to Logos is on page uh, 75, where uh, Margie basically an analyzes the whole kind of construct of the veil and the beard. Like Margie was saying, there are two kinds of women and two sorts of men. So her whole, her whole quote is, but let's be fair. 
if women faced prison when they refused to wear the veil, it was also forbidden for men to wear neckties and the dreaded symbol of the West. And if women's hair got men excited, then the same thing could be said of men's bare, of men's bare arms. And so wearing short-sleeved shirts was also forbidden. There was a kind of justice after all. Now, even though this is biased, this basically shows, this is probably one of the more logical things she says because she does in her own way um, kind of compare the, the two different status quos and comes to the conclusion that in her mind is fair, but it's not really emotionally charged. She doesn't really have an emotional reason to believe what she does. She comes to that conclusion in a logical way. Um, it's not the most agreeable, but it's not emotionally charged. So it's the most logical thing she does. Um, and then the last thing I had to do is find ethos. So one place where I found that she was or that, that the author was appealing to ethos was on page 79. And it was, and she said, Margie said, the second invasion in 1400 years, my blood was boiling. I was ready to defend my country against these Arabs who kept attacking us. I wanted to fight. So this connects to ethos because in this quote, Margie is trying to establish that she knows right from wrong. Uh, and also that she knows what side she's fighting for. And the main thing is she's showing she's kind of a brave patriot. Like she's trying to show these proper qualities that, that she has the ability to demonstrate that she's, um, that she's a patron of her country, I think. And that also shows that she, that she has like an emotional kind of ethical standpoint that's correct because she's willing to defend her country. So that's my analysis. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to ask, do you, do you, even though this author has a lot of biases, this character has a lot of biases, do you still believe this author? Like, do you still believe what this author says? Um, I definitely believe what the author says. I don't believe what the um, uh, character says, though, because obviously she's talking in the perspective of a child, and so that's less believable since, as we mentioned before, she has a bunch of uh, she has like little knowledge on most topics, but as an author, she can uh, just the uh, information around the story that all are true, like the existence of the fundamentalists and the progressives, which are like the two political parties in Iran. We can probably look that up and then it'll be true. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, another question I have is, because of her biases, how objective can this author be? And by the same token, how persuasive can she be? Uh, and by that, are you mean, are you trying to say how accurate she is? I don't understand. Objective? Um, objective kind of means like she kind of leaves her biases out of it. Like how how well can she just stick to the facts, I guess? Oh, well. Like the agenda. Well, she can uh, repeat what she hears from other people. Uh, in this ch in this chapter, we saw that uh, she repeated uh, some statements from the TV. Uh, it was about voter fraud, apparently. 99.99% uh, .99 of this political party was voted for by the people. Uh, 
but her parents or it wasn't her parents it were some relatives or something uh, they say they got angry because they knew that there was some voter fraud going on so even though she's not biased her objections are probably not very concise as I would hope that they would be yeah okay um and then okay and then the final question for this part is how does the trustworthiness of the quoted persons affect the trustworthiness of the author so how does margie's like how does our trust in margie affect our trust in the author um i feel like it really does affect how we trust the author at times because especially with that quote where she was saying that there was like the 99.9% of the voters voted for that one political party. If you were, um, you can't just believe that. So that kind of makes you think sometimes, is that happening with the other pieces of information found in this book that the author is saying? So I feel like it does affect it, not totally, but to a certain point. Yeah, that's a really good take on it. So that's that's it for rhetorical analysis. Uh, next is Han. Okay, I'll connect it for my section. And my first connection was on pages 74 to 75, where it talks about the two political parties in Iran, which are the fundamentalists and the progressive or modern. And um, I connected this part, these two parties to our own government's parties, which are mostly liberal or um, conservative. So the progressives tend to be more liberal and in favor of individual rights, as shown by Shirataki's mom on page 76, when she says she should start learning to defend her rights as a woman right now. On the other hand, the fundamentalists are conservative and based their decisions on cultural preservation, as seen on page 73, when universities were closed to stop young adults from developing anti-religious ideas. My second connection is on page 76, where um, people have rioted and things didn't go exactly as well as they planned. And I connect this to um, riots that were seen in Northern Ireland in 1969, where incredible violence was seen. And in the book, the fundamentalists attacked the progressives. And in Ireland, the pro Protestants attacked the Catholics. And um, that's where the connection happens. And my last connection is on page 87, when the author introduces how the war affected the stores and the public during the war. She notices how people are fighting for supplies, how many stores are empty, and how some stores have policies on the number of supplies customers can buy. These events are similar to when the COVID pandemics began, where people would, in masses, go to stores and fight for supplies. And when you look at pictures, you could see like all the stores were empty. I also have a question. So. What did you guys think about the transition from kid, Mar kid Margie to um, slightly young adult Margie? Because there was a time skip in the middle of the section where um, I don't know if it was exactly a year, but I'm sure it was a year. So do you think she became more mature or she stayed relatively the same? Uh, I think she stayed pretty much the same. And also they did say it was one year. Uh, on she started oh oh 
This is when uh, she actually started talking about uh, the political things, and she started repeating things that she heard from TV, like the political ad that said about that was talking about votes, but they were fake, but she didn't believe it yet. So honestly, I think she didn't change that much in one year. I think she might have. I mean, she did kind of formulate more of her own opinions a little bit. I mean, she there was no real drastic change, but I feel like she almost became a little more biased, especially if you're like looking at what uh, Christian just brought up about where she was saying like the percentage of the votes or whatever. That's a very biased thing to say. So I think with her ability to make her own opinions, she's becoming more and more biased. So that's really the change I saw. Um, you can see the character development a little bit, like little by little, because obviously in a year you change, but not that much. So she does change a little bit, but she still has that same bias as before, and she still um, can't, she still isn't too reliable as she should be, but you can definitely see it change. Yeah, I agree. I don't think she became more adult-like. But, like, the reason I wanted to talk about maturity is because when she went to the store with those two little kids, the way she acted seemed a little more grown up than what she might have done before. Where, when they were calling those women from, I don't, I think the South, like, you know, whores, um, she simply ignored them and moved on. But I thought she'd say something about it if it was the one year earlier version. Well, that's the end of my section. Okay, uh, I will be doing now a structural a structure analysis. So basically, I'm just gonna say what the structure of our story is so far. And first off, Ursopius was an autobiographical book that discusses the struggles of Mark Jan before and throughout the Islamic Revolution. So basically, this took uh, this was in the twentieth century. And this was during the Islamic Revolution. Two political parties were fighting each other, basically. And Marjan was foretelling, uh, foretold this story in chronological order. And it began when Marjan was a young girl. There are a few flashbacks throughout the book from the trauma family members such as Uncle Anushe have experienced. Also, the book is nonfiction, but it still follows the classic pattern of plot development. The first segment of the book deals with exposition and it introduces the setting in Marjan's family. The thesis for this book was that, uh, one of the many theses actually, uh, was that education is essential for a person to have true freedom, but also that uh, institutionalized education cannot always be trusted. This book also uses foreshadowing about the persecution of the Iranians that is to develop throughout the book. The book begins with uh, demonstrations regarding democracy and freedom in which uh, Marjan's parents participated with. Marjan's uncle, Anushe, a former Russian spy who traveled back to Iran to see his family, but he was also soon arrested and executed after this point. Multiple deaths and atrocities started to become relevant in the book. 
the rising action in the book, would probably begin uh, around the time Marjan witnessed violent counter-protesters uh, counter at their democratic demonstrations. That's when she witnessed for the first time viol uh, violence in person. And eventually, bombings started to occur, and families were being destroyed on a day-to-day -day -day basis. So overall, the structure of this book is pretty much similar to any other book. But uh, there were multiple themes as well. I stated a theme in which education is essential, but also to be wary of what you're being taught and not to take things for granted. What other themes do you think are present in this book? Does anyone know of any other things? Um, I you can kind of see a theme. Well, I don't know if you'd consider it a theme, but like a big part is her like religious journey, I guess. Like towards the end of I think it was the first chapter, you can see how she gets frustrated with God and tells him to go away and to get out. So I guess that kind of theme is like how sometimes um, things can push you away from stuff that you really used to believe in. Okay, so religion, I guess, is another theme that can be used. Uh, as for the structure analysis, that's basically it for me. If no one wants to, if no one else wants to answer this question, that's it for me. Okay, so um, my rule for this week was evidence checker. So I had to identify the major types of evidence the author uses, and I had to um, talk about what does that reveal about the author and the text. So I said that the type of evidence that the author um, uses is mostly logos and ethos and a little bit of pathos as well. Um, she still uses a lot of pathos within her drawings, but not as much in her dialogue. Um, logos and ethos can be found in their dialogue and descriptions. For example, on page 89, it says, After Aladon, every border town was targeted by bombers. Most of the people living in those areas had to flee northward, far from the Iraqi missiles. And in the description of the comic, the author uses logos to describe how things have escalated in the war. In the drawing, you can see cars going their separate ways, but also being covered in what looks like vines. This is an example of the author using pathos. She does this to give a chaotic vibe of everyone fleeing their homes. This reveals that the author is sure to be historic, historically accurate using ethos and logos in her dialogue and pathos in her drawings. I then had to pick three um, pieces of evidence to analyze and I had to explain the context of each piece and how it claimed, like what it claims or counterclaim it's designed to support or illustrate. Um, so my first piece of evidence that I chose was that the Arabs never liked the uh, Persians. Everyone knows that. They attacked us 1,400 years ago and they forced religion on us on page 81. Here, Margie is explaining to her dad why he should help him fight in the war. She says this to try to convince him to fight in the war since he said he wouldn't. Um, and this helps support her claim that her father should obviously go fight in the war in her view. 
Um, the second piece of evidence I used was that Pre President um, Bannister uh, has ordered the release of the military pilots jailed after the failed coup, and they arrived, They agreed to attack Iraq if the government broadcast national anthem. Iranian losses were very heavy, and half of the planes in the mission have not returned. Pages 84 to 85. This was a broadcast from the radio station that Margie and her family were listening to. It's used to support the claim that the, mili the military pilots were released from jail. Um, so the third piece of evidence I used was on page 88. It says, of course, they're not saying anything. It's a huge mess. Iraq bombed the refinery at Abaddon. Uh, this is from a conversation between Margie's father and a man who seems to be selling gas. It was in response to Ebby's question of what was going on. Evidence number three was used to support the claim that the news wasn't reporting anything because it was a mess after Abaddon was bombed. Um, the author uses these pieces of evidence to show how things have escalated in the war. I find a few of the pieces of evidence to be reliable since they were actual true events in history. And these pieces of evidence are all effective at proving, their, proving the claim they're trying to prove as well. And all of these pieces of evidence support the overall thesis and message of the story. Um, my last thing that I had to do was evaluate the author's credibility based on his or her use of evidence. I feel like the author herself is trustworthy and credible, but Margie isn't. On page 62, Margie's uncle even says, Calm down, Ebby. She's just a child who repeats what she hears. Margie's uncle says this after she had said that 99.9% of the population voted for the Islamic Republic. To this, her dad then responded harshly, saying, do you realize how ignorant our people are? The elections were faked and they believed the results. 99.99%? Where did that figure come from? From their asses, that's where. And this goes to show that the narrator, the narrator can be unreliable by looking the, the misinformation she has heard by either the news or other people. The author is quick to correct herself, though, by using other characters. In this case, it was her father and her uncle. Um, a, a question I would like to ask is, how did you react to um, hearing how she was unreliable, especially that quote where she just repeated the misinformation she had heard? And did it surprise you? It honestly kind of almost concerned me because it's so applicable to like the current situation like I've even found myself doing that sometimes where I just kind of or at least before like maybe even a couple years ago I'll just repeat what other people around me say because I don't know what to think for myself so I think my main reaction is just kind of surprised at how little she can act how little she's actually thought for herself she's always kind of thought of what are my parents saying? What is my uncle saying? What is the news saying? Like she can't, she's never really thinking for herself. She's not really formulating her own opinions. She's just kind of repeating and regurgitating everything else she hears. Uh, what Irene said, I don't think I was really surprised by what, by what she said since she's been doing it since the beginning of the book. But I definitely agree that, um, she, like she copies things and everyone also copies things they hear so it's really not that surprising to me uh the only thing i'm uh, surprised about now is she evolved to become more patriotic for her 
country. Other than that, I'm not surprised that she decided to state any of this. Yeah, um, especially with Aaron said that a few years ago, I also used to be the same. Now I realize that I should probably fact check before saying that as well. So yeah, it was kind of surprising, but not too surprising because as he has said, it's been previously seen multiple times. So yeah, that ends my part. All right, we're done.